Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Rev. Dr. Matthew Richard. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. My friends, it is tough. It is very tough. It is tough to admit when we are wrong. It hurts, does it not? It offends our pride. It damages our ego. But what is even more difficult, though, than admitting when we're wrong is having to go and fix something that we've messed up. In other words, while it hurts to admit when we are wrong, it hurts even more when we have to go and do something over again to fix our failures. You see, when we are wrong, we can quickly apologize and be done with it. But when we have to go and fix our mistakes, maybe start something over again, to do it all over again, well, it is even worse. When we have to start over, it reminds us just how much we messed up the first time. Having to start over is humbling. It it, it grinds against our ego. It crushes our pride. It reinforces just how wrong we were. And it brings about, get this, humility. Yes, humility. And that, my friends, is where the real problem is. You see, dear friends, frankly stated, humility is not only very difficult, but it offends us. Sure, we like it when other people are humble around us, And we can certainly pretend to be humble ourselves, but true humility, to be truly humble, while our sinful nature despises it, our old Adam, that sinful nature that we all have, it actually sneers at humility because beneath all of our Midwestern pious talk and our Midwest niceness, 
And all of those humble gestures that we do, there's a raging, arrogant old Adam. A raging, arrogant, sinful nature. This is the reason why. Let me tell you why. This is the reason why, deep down, none of us like John the Baptist. And if we don't like John the Baptist, perhaps you and I are a bit attracted to John the Baptist, though, because he seems to be kind of a wild man. There's an entertainment factor with John seeing his clothing and his diet of food that he eats and his crazy tactics, they're a little bit entertaining. But when we come face to face with John the Baptist and that message that he has, well, let's just be honest, we do not like him. He's really too dangerous for our old Adam. You see, John's message, it attacks. It attacks our old Adam. It attacks our sinful nature. It attacks our pride and our ego. Now, keep in mind that in the first century, John the Baptist, he really made a lot of noise out in the wilderness by baptizing not a few people, but thousands upon thousands of people. You see, John was not some second-class prophet with a small religious cult living out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. No, John, he went out to the Jordan River specifically because that was the place that, was the place that the Israelites originally entered the Promised Land long ago. And so by going out to the Jordan River, John was going back to the very beginning, the beginning of the story, where it all started for the Jewish people. And here's why this is so important. There at the Jordan River, where it all began, where the first Jews entered Israel, is where John is calling everyone to repentance. In other words, He's out by that Jordan River where it all began, and he's essentially saying this, wake up and start over. Get back out here and do it all over again. Start again. You have messed it up. Repent. You are slothful. You're spiritually apathetic. The kingdom of God is at hand, so you need to get out to the Jordan, be baptized, confess your sin, and start over. Do it all over again. You have messed it all up, every single one of you. John, he's kind of like that fourth grade teacher who took a look at that assignment that you handed in, rolled her eyes and wrote a big letter F in red ink and gives it back to you and says, do it over. You failed. Do it again. Well, as can be expected, the religious leaders, they took note of the thousands of people going out to that Jordan River to be baptized. And so they sent some spiritual superstars to figure things out. Indeed, they sent some superstars out to see what was going on. And what did these spiritual superstars hear and see? Well, according to the Gospel of Matthew, some of the religious superstars became a bunch of lemmings. They got pulled along in the hype of the crowd and decided to get baptized with everyone else too because everyone else was doing it and they didn't want to be left out. But as can be expected... John does not let us down. John, he blasted them. He said this, You family of snakes, what do you think you are doing here, slithering down into the waters to be baptized? Knock it off. Repent. Stop pretending that you are perfect. Repent and understand that you are sinners just like everyone else. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, while it is fun to hear John say that. Well, it's fun to hear John swing at the religious superstars. It is even more difficult for us to realize that these words of John, 
they can be directed to you and me as well. In fact, they should be. My friends, stop pretending. Stop pretending that you are perfect. Repent and understand that you are a sinner just like everyone else. The kingdom of God is at hand. But when we consider these words for ourselves, indeed these words, when we consider them for ourselves, what happens is that we want to turn our guns on John the Baptist. In fact, that is what we often do when we are called out for our sins and failures. For example, when perhaps a pastor or a boss or a parent or teacher or police officer nails you and me for our sins, well, we typically, we freak out, we get all worked up, and then we get angry. We get energized by a sense of injustice, and then we shred the pastor and the boss and the parent and the teacher, the police officer, to anyone who will listen to us. We even do this online through social media, letting our rage and our vengeance out on the person who would dare correct us. You see, our old Adam is like a three-year-old who is disciplined and then throws a temper tantrum against the one who would dare call us out for our sin. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. While it sometimes works to attack those who call us out on our sin, to get them to somehow back down, it does not work for Christianity. And it certainly doesn't work for John the Baptist. And here's why. You see, when the Levites and the priests questioned John the Baptist, he defined himself like this. He said this, catch this, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. Now, do not let this small detail pass by. What John is saying is simply this, I am not worthy to even perform the work of a slave to a master. That is how undeserving, that is how unworthy, that is how unbefitting that I am. I am not some religious superstar up top pointing my finger at everyone else beneath me, but I am nothing. I am nothing compared to Christ. So what this all means is that the message of John the Baptist the season of Advent that we're in, the hammer of God's Ten Commandments are not intended to keep some of you humble and on the bottom and others of you at the top, but instead to make everyone low together, to level the playing field, to bring us all to repentance, to beat our chests together, to confess that we are sinners in thought, word, and deed. And so just as John the Baptist was calling everyone in Israel back to the Jordan to repent and do it all over again, well, my friends, the church does the same thing every single Advent and, in fact, every single church service. If you can recall, at the beginning of the service, we had a confession of sins, indeed, at the beginning of the church service. And that confession of sin is not just for you as parishioners, but it is for me too. It is for you and for me, which is the reason why I stand not up here taking notes of who's confessing, but I stand right here in your midst at the front of the line to confess that I'm a poor, miserable sinner with you. And then the absolution. Well, the reason why I walk from here on the floor to right here at the baptismal font is for the very specific reason of pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, the word of Jesus, into your ears. 
You see, I lay my hand on this baptismal font where it all began for you as a Christian. Yes, where it all begins for us. Now, speaking of our church services and the liturgy that we have, if you think about it, in our church liturgy, everything we speak and everything we say comes from a disposition of humility, a disposition of need and repentance. When we confess our sins at the beginning of the church service, we need to take note that we're using the words of King David when he confessed his sins after his affair with Bathsheba. When we sing that Kyrie facing towards the altar, when we sing that Kyrie, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, we're actually singing and confessing the very words of blind Bartimaeus who cried out for mercy before Jesus long ago. When we sing the Sanctus right before the Lord's Prayer, we're singing the words recorded by Isaiah, Isaiah who once said this, Woe is me, I am lost. And when we sing that Agnes Day right before communion, we are singing, get this, the words of John the Baptist, the one who was not worthy to untie the sandal of Jesus. The point being, we do not sing the words of Cain, we do not sing the words of Jezebel and Pilate and Judas or the Pharisees or any other religious superstars, but instead we sing and speak with our brothers, sinners, David, Bartimaeus, Isaiah, John the Baptist, and so forth. We sing and speak the words of those bunch of sinners who had no hope in themselves, but a hope outside of themselves in Christ, in the promised Messiah. Practically speaking, my friends, you and I, we, we, we hate to repent. We would rather remain in our pride and our puffed-up egos. But God's law must come to us to grant us repentance, sorrow for our sin. The law must come and grind us to a fine powder so that we do not confess our greatness, but the fact that we are poor, miserable sinners. The law must come to first prepare us for the gift of the gospel. Advent must come first before Christmas. And John must come first before the Christ to prepare us. The reason being, if we do not hear the law, we will not realize our sin. And if we do not realize our sin, we have no need for forgiveness and no need for a Savior. Baptized saints, mark this. Our whole life needs to be one of ongoing repentance where we are constantly repenting of our pride and our arrogance and our egos so that we can be like one who is unworthy to untie Jesus' sandal. So, dear friends, the message of Advent and John the Baptist is quite clear and quite simple. Repent. Start over. Be returned to the baptismal font. Remember that your identity is not in your pride or your ego, your abilities, your accomplishments, any of that stuff, but you are found in the worthy one, Jesus Christ. Christ is the only one who is truly, truly worthy. And as the worthy one, he does not stand far off, but as the one who came to us, God be praised, that Christmas long ago, to be the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and the sin of the world. You see, he meets your pride with law, and then he meets your humility and confession with grace and forgiveness. 
And so you are not left only with law. You're not left only with Abbott. You're not left only with John the Baptist, but you are given the gospel. You're given Christmas, and you're given the Christ child. You and I are never worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus, but that does not stop Christ from drawing near to you. He does draw near, and he considers it well worthwhile because he is the God who draws near sinners with forgiveness and life and salvation. Repentance and faith, sin and grace, Advent and Christmas, being prepared to receive the Christ, always to Jesus, always from Christ. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.